couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, welcome back to Wheel of Randy number one randy newman podcast in the world whether you're a randy super fan are new to his work or just know the hits we hope this is a place where you can come and learn a little bit more about the man himself my name's dan wade and i'm your host wheel of randy is a part of the good trash media podcast network and is brought to you by wade engineering Wait, that's my last name. That's weird. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. All right, we've got Michael Benjur with us today. Thanks for coming today, Michael. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Michael is from Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, we've known each other since we were very, very young men, and our paths separate, and and as, as life happens, so happens they rejoin from time to time so it, it's good to have good to have you back in my life michael agreed thanks dan it's always a, a pleasure when when i get to run into you and suzanne when we're out and about uh it doesn't happen very often but it's nice when it does and of course you know the facebook is is helping us to keep in touch especially so i always like seeing what's going on with you guys lives so thanks for having me you bet you bet you've been busy you've got you've got your band that that's uh just had an album come out, right? Yeah, actually, I have I mean, two bands, and uh, keeping track of both of them is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so uh, the band I've been in the longest is is Heartbreak Rodeo, and I've been together with them for six years now, six and a half years. Um, but the, the newest band is the Whiskey Gingers, uh, which... Right. Is there an E in whiskey? There is. Okay. I, I don't know if that's proper or not, but I guess it's kind of one of those you can go either way, right? I whiskey snobs say there's a difference. I I don't know. Yeah. Well, I you know, uh, it was actually the the whiskey gingers was was my idea for the name, and two thirds of us actually enjoy uh, drinking whiskey, and one third does not. So um, I just sort of took the. Uh, took the hit and, and went with the EY because we're really not whiskey snobs. So <laughs> you wouldn't be on this show if, if you were. <laughs> right. It'd be a different podcast. Uh, how would you describe whiskey gingers? I guess red dirt is the best way to say it. Or? Yeah. I mean, definitely red dirt. Um, I don't think you can be in an Oklahoma band and not have some red dirt just by, you know, natural osmosis. But um, yeah, I say that like, so Heartbreak Rodeo is more like acoustic rock and Whiskey Gingers is definitely more sort of coffee house folk uh, style Americana. Yeah. Um, not as much rock and roll. Um, definitely lots of harmony on everything that we do. Um, it's an acoustic trio, although um, we are venturing out. Uh, the album is not really that acoustic, although there is a, a lot of acoustic guitar in it, but there's a lot of electric guitar and, and drums and other things in it. But uh, we're gearing up for a, a, a show 
uh, later this month uh, that we're going to bring drums in and see how that goes. So, nice. yeah. I, I, I saw y'all live stream through City of Norman a few months ago. That was lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a fun deal where um, a friend of mine uh, who actually works for Visit Nor Norman, the, uh, the tourism leg of the city, um, she asked if, if the Whiskey Gingers would do something. And we were so, you know, the, 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 the pandemic was so new that we were actually not practicing, not hanging out with our third fellow ginger, which, by the way, so Whiskey Gingers is made up of Jenny, my wife, uh, and then uh, Jess Crothers and then myself. So two thirds of us are married. And, and so consequently we live together. And so we said, well, the two, the two of us will put some music together uh, because we weren't even seeing Jess at that time. Um, it wasn't until several weeks later that we decided that we could start hanging out in small capacities again. But yeah, so we put together some music for that and then, um, had a lot of fun with that. It was a lot of, uh, it was, we got some really good response um, doing that. And Jenny and I love playing music together. It, it's a lot of fun for us to do that. And so the, the band is a great sort of excuse for us to get to do that. Uh, Ride the River is, is a favorite of mine. That's really, really catchy stuff. Dan, thank you for saying that, because that's one of two songs on the album that I wrote. And <laughs> the rest I were written. I didn't look it up, I promise. I know you didn't, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. Actually, uh, the, the whole record is great. We had such a great time putting it together. But um, Ride the River is one of the songs that I actually, I wrote it, and I, I tossed it to Heartbreak Rodeo, and they tossed it right back. So oh. I said, okay, well, I'll... I'll see if the, the whiskey gingers grab onto this. And they did. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and it was one of those um, opportunities to bring in some of our close uh, and dear musical friends. Again, this was recorded right before the pandemic hit. Um, but we have uh, friends from uh, the three of our bands. So the whiskey gingers and heartbreak rodeo. We also play with a third band called big train and the locomotives, which is a local blues band. Okay. Uh, that's led by Jim Matson, And when the three of our bands play together, we're, we go by the name Bandemonium. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's kind of like you get three bands for the price of one, or in some cases for the price of none, um, kind of with the idea that if you don't like what you're listening to, then just stick around for 30 minutes and there'll be another band and maybe you'll like them instead. So, but it was a fun recording session. We had uh, members of, of all three of those bands in the, the studio with us to provide some clapping and, and some harmonies. Um, and of course, um, the whole thing was recorded by uh, Terry Buffalo, where a great, 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 great musician, um, well-known uh, in, in musical circles in Oklahoma, um, because he, he used to tour back in the 70s um, quite a bit extensively with um, Ray Wiley Hubbard. And then he, um, he has toured and recorded quite a bit with John Fulbright, uh, if you're familiar with him at all. And if yeah. you're not, you need to go check him out. But uh, yeah, Terry Buffalo Ware recorded the album and, and produced it. Uh, so, but yeah, Ride the River. It's one of those fun songs about getting together at the end of the day and finding what we have in common and overlooking all the other stuff so that we can just get together and have a good time together. Um, so. Man, that sounds nice. I'm glad you liked it. 
you're getting me sentimental for for pre-quarantine days here oh man there's nothing like being a musician uh to make yourself um miss pre-quarantine i bet yeah but there's some great opportunities though there's still a lot of um outdoor venues and you know we're adapting uh fortunately we all are either have day day jobs or are retired so we don't we don't have to do the music to uh, to live um, financially but um, we do have some great opportunities outdoors with uh, places that are doing their part taking it seriously and masking up and um, social distancing so that musicians like us can keep doing what we're doing in a, in a safer environment now you you grew up in norman right that's correct. Back what when like growing up in a college town. Oh, you know, I didn't know any different. Honestly, I didn't appreciate and and really value a college town until I I got away from it for 10 years. When, you know, I grew up in Norman and back when there was one high school and there were 775 of us in my graduating class. Um but Norman, you know, Norman definitely had the, has the football scene. And if you're into that, that's great. And if you're not, that's fine. There's lots of other stuff. But um, I feel like Norman didn't really start kind of exploding in the right kind of ways until, until I left. And not that there was any correlation, obviously. But um, <laughs> in college, I was at, at OU, and, and then I met Jenny. And she was at um, – USAO down in Chickasha, which is the, uh, the, the state's public liberal arts university, mm -hmm. much smaller. Um, and I really, of course, I wanted to be where she was, but I really liked that. I had a really positive experience there, except for the city. Um, I remember one time uh, when Ginny and I were still dating, uh, we, I invited my dad to come and spend the night um, and uh, we went and saw this, this comedy, this, this improv show that was being held at, uh, being staged at USAO. And after it was over, we were like, let's go get something to eat. <laughs> Long silence. Mm -hmm. it, in Chickasha, there's no night scene, or at least there wasn't back in the 90s or the, the, the mid to late 90s. Um, right. And we went, we found this place that was open and we ordered waffles, and I kid you not, <laughs> they brought us out Eggos. Oh. Like, like frozen Eggo waffles, yeah. And so that was, uh, that was Chickasha in the late 90s. Um, yeah. So, but we lived in Chickasha, and then Anadarko, and then Chickasha again, all over in the span of 10 years. And, and I fought my way, clawing back to get back to, uh, to Norman in a place of, of culture and opportunity uh, we had a, a kid and so we were wanting some new opportunities and so um when the, my 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 day job in, at OU came up we very uh happily moved back and uh Norman's just uh, golly man that the arts and music scene has, has just exploded here um in the past 10 to 15 years um that's good to hear you know as someone who's not in Norman anymore you know I, I was wondering, is it just turning into another suburb now that Oklahoma City is kind of swallowing up the north end of Norman? Uh, so it's good to know that the, that the art scene is going strong there. 
Yeah, well, and a big part of that is the Norman Arts Council. Um, and, and, and I can say that because I've, I've served on its board and been involved with it and the Norman uh, Public uh, Art, Arts Board. There's just a lot that's going into developing its own arts scene, um, both with like the Second Friday Art Walks and the live music. And that really has sprung up, I'd say, in the past 10 years. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't think anybody in Norman would consider themselves or consider this town a suburb of Oklahoma City. I think there's very much a movement to be like, we are our own thing. I think more kind of latches on to Norman's in some ways, but um, in a lot of ways, I think that Norman's trying to lead the way when it comes to, you know, it's art and live music offerings. Obviously, Oklahoma City has has done some really great things. Um, but I think Norman's really trying to get its own identity where, where especially where the arts and music are concerned. All right, let's, we're going to play Chickasha Trivia. Oh, great. I'm right. going to fail this. <laughs> you, you went to a comedy show. What famous comedic actor is from Chickasha? Comedic actor from Chickasha. I should know this. This was probably in the, the application. <laughs> um, let me think about that a second. I, I don't honestly know. I, I'll probably know it as soon as you tell me. Cleavon Little, the, the lead in Blazing Saddles. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, man. I had no idea. Yeah. You wouldn't know, would you? <laughs> well, you might. But no, I, I don't know. That's a great film. You know that that was, that was written by... Uh, this is one of my favorite trivia things about that movie was that it was written by Richard Pryor. Oh, really? Yeah, which is, which is how um, Mel Brooks was able to get away with so much of the dialogue. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is that it was actually penned by Richard Pryor, but he didn't want to be in it. He just wanted to write it. He didn't want to star in it. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. So go back and watch it again with those lenses on. You, you do know we named our daughter after Madeline Kahn. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Well, I, I, can't, I can't hear Madeline Kahn without thinking of Frau Brucher, and then I can't hear Frau Brucher without... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Madeline Kahn. God, her song in that movie is so great. Oh, the man. And I don't even remember all the lyrics to it, but in Blazing Saddles. So, in addition to three bands, you decided that wasn't enough. You decided to get in the DJ business. Tell us about that. Yeah, man. 2020 is a weird year. What can I say? Yeah, so... So 2018 was sort of a big year of transition for me and for my family. Um, I got a new job after 10 years and uh, we, we got a new house. We finally got a house that was big enough that we weren't tripping over our dogs. That was honestly, that was the impetus for moving. Like we just Always were running. Dogs. Yeah, right. I mean, we love our dogs, but man, they're just, they're speed bumps. Um, they were always in the way. So um once I got into the new day job, I was, I was at this point where I was really tired of listening to everything that I have on iTunes, and I'm, I'm not really good about listening to a lot of new music, um, and I'm kind of an old-school analog guy in a lot of ways, but I was just tired of hearing the same things over and over, and uh, some buddies of mine uh, and I were starting to get into some funk music and and it was more like modern contemporary funk so bands like 
lettuce and uh, the Budos band and snarky puppy. And I'm trying to think of several others that are sort of in that vein. Um, but I started sort of down this, this rabbit hole of listening to funk. And now I loved funk in a small way and in a small amount in high school. Um, I especially loved watching black action films, uh, lovingly referred to as black exploitation films, but the, uh, you know, Shaft and Black Moses and Superfly and those kind of films. I started sort of getting into those in, the, in, in, in high school and college. And those are all backed up with this amazing soundtracks of, um, of funk music, you know, especially the wah pedal, you know, you've got Shaft and stuff. And so I started thinking about doing something with funk and I had this idea that was like, you know, I'm not really finding anybody who's playing funk, especially not instrumental funk in a consistent manner. And I'm friends with um, Jim Johnson, hard luck Jim Johnson, who hosts the weekend blues on KGOU. And I've been a big fan of that show. Go ahead. It's been there forever. Oh, he's been doing this for 20 years, man institution okay oh totally yeah and he's just totally such a cool guy and just totally approachable and i shot him an email one day and this was like in february or march of 2019 and basically i said hey jim i have this idea for something that i think might make an interesting podcast one of these days you know five or ten years down the line or maybe uh maybe even when i retire I was like, you know, I have this idea for an instrumental funk show. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Do you have any ideas or any feedback about podcasting and, and what that's like? Um, and he said, well, let's go to lunch. And I have some ideas and, and some feedback. Let's go to lunch. So we went to Pepe's on, on Campus Corner. I'm sure you remember Pepe's. Uh, well, I was there six months ago. Yep. Yep. Back in the day. Uh, it's been there forever. And so we went to lunch and I said, Hey, I've got this idea for instrumental funk. These are the bands that I'm thinking of. Now, see, I had started this short list and I had probably a dozen, you know, maybe 30 bands that I was aware of. And he said, yeah, these are all really great bands. Some of them I've never heard of them. Some of them I really need to go back and check out. And he said, well, here's the thing with podcasting as, as you Dan will can attest to is that if you play other people's music, there's all kinds of copyright issues you have to get into. Um, oh, yeah. Least of which is uh, dealing with the record labels. Um, a lot of times, the the bands themselves, if you can track them down, they're pretty cool about you know you playing their stuff. But putting copywritten music in a digital format that exists, you know, for longer than you know, a few hours, even you start getting into legal issues. And he said, it's funny that you bring this up. He said, I'm actually in the market for a new show on KGOU. And the, the, the bands and the songs that you have in mind are right up my alley and, you know, kind of scratch an itch that, that I think a lot of people, you know, would, would enjoy. He said, what do you think about doing a show for KGOU? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. He said, you know, and so that sort of got the ball rolling. And, you know, 
And it took us, it was literally, it was a year later. It was a year of me doing research, a, a year of, of us going back and forth about ideas and, you know, me demoing stuff. And um, that, that was great because it gave me time to work on um, building a database of, of music um, and to start planning episodes. Um, and so that list of, you know, 15 or 30 uh, bands today, I'm looking at my, my, on my computer right here today, that database is over 4,400 either albums or, or artists nice. and, and it grows every day. And it basically, it's it, basically, it's all going down the Spotify rabbit hole and listening to a band and listening to all of their, uh, Every, every recording that's on Spotify, which unfortunately is not everything, but it's pretty good. Um, and then looking at the bands that... become a Discogs addict and go for the first... Oh, dude, Discogs, I'm on all day long. Yeah, Discogs is such a, it's been such a huge part of my research. But, um, and so, yeah, I started recording stuff in the spring, and then we launched and started putting stuff on the air in June. And um, here we are 14 weeks, 14 or 15 weeks out. And um, I've, I, I, I'm having fun. I mean, that's the most thing. Uh, the, most, the biggest thing is I'm having a great time with it. But uh, the great thing is how many people seemed, seem to like the music. Um, and that's part of, of the design of the show is that there's just so much great music out there. And, and for me to find some random song um, and to be able to put it back on the air. It's a song that maybe hasn't been on the air in 40 years, you know, or never was on the air. It was maybe a B side on somebody's 45. Um, and to share this stuff, it's just so much fun just searching and going down rabbit holes. And I mean, I've got tons of vinyl that I, that I dig through and, 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 and rip to put onto the show as well. And, it's just a lot of fun. It's called Tonic the Funky Groove Show, and it's on Friday nights from 9 to 11 uh, p.m. Central on KGOU, and you can listen on, online live, uh, kgou.org. So that's kind of a big wrap-up of, of how I got, to, how I became a, a DJ or an MC or a host of, of this crazy show. You know, a couple of years ago, I was toying with, with doing a show with KOSU uh, and my family's split. I am a KOSU man and, and Suzanne will immediately change it to KGOU. So we've got <laughs> battling public radio stations in our car. That's hilarious. And probably, probably a college loyalty thing on, on her part. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, I, I, I talked to Ferris a couple of years ago and kicked an idea around. He, he said that that's fine. I, want to make sure that this isn't something that you'll do for three months and get bored with or do for three months and run out of material. Yeah. And, and that's when I realized, and this is before I went down the, the Randy rabbit hole. Um, right. So I realized that, you know, if, if I am ever going to do that, I'm going to have to do, you know, what, what you're doing and, and, and really, really dig deeper. Um, yeah. But but that that to me just helped appreciate uh, how much work a good DJ puts in. 
Yeah. That, that I'm benefiting from your filter from the yeah. hours and hours you've devoted to find the gems. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. And, and I think that's, Honestly, that's, that's kind of what I feel like is part of my job description um, is not only to filter out the junk, uh, and there is quite a bit of junk, but, but also to, um, I'm intentionally trying to avoid the top 40 stuff um, because I don't, I don't care about the play the funky music white boy and celebrate good times, you know, celebration. Everybody's heard all that stuff. Right. What I'm interested in is, I want to showcase the musicality of the musicians and how they were laying down some incredibly talented and creative and layered tracks. Um, and so the bands that brought you the top 40 hits, most of them also brought you stuff that you probably never heard that's equally powerful equally striking equally interesting you know i, I noticed um, you've got sunshine band playing next week or was that last week that's coming up this friday actually yeah it's sunshine the sunshine band, band kc minus kc yeah <laughs> yeah they they put out a solo i i don't know really why but uh, so i guess they wanted to try their their hands at a record that showcased again showcased the, the musicianship and didn't have any of the lyrics um and that was in 1975 they just did the one to my knowledge they just did the one sort of solo uh album without him without the lead singer but yeah but i had, I had never heard of just the sunshine band doing something you know uh on their own and the thrill of the hunt is, is a big part of that for me is I want to, I want to pull out the gems, like you said, and say, look at this fun thing that, that they did. You need to check this out. I assume this is all done at home, prearranged and, and uploaded to KTOU. Um, it's, yeah. You see a time where, where you'll be, be live in the studio and maybe even, you know, taking calls during, during the show, or is that a thing of the past? Um, I mean, I, there's, it's set up that I could do that if I wanted to. Um, but I, well, I have to say, first of all, the timing is so weird that, that this all happened. I mean, literally, I signed a contract with KGOU a week before spring break. And during spring break, everything hit. And they said, and OU said, don't come back to campus next week. And then that turned into essentially don't come back, <laughs> you know? So the, the, the ink was drying as everything started shutting down. Um, and in the meantime, I had set up a home uh, studio so that I could do this kind of stuff in house. Um, but um, a lot of what I try to do at the show um, is to provide a source of entertainment, obviously, but also to provide little nuggets of education. Um, why did somebody write this song? What's a little anecdote about what happened in the studio with this, you know, this song or something with this musician. And um, so I actually do quite a bit of research to write ahead of time, a script that'll help sort of keep 
the flow of the songs, there might be something that, you know, these three songs have in common. And so let's find a way to, to, to thread those together. Um, and I could probably do that with a live show as well, but um, I have to admit there's, there's a comfort with, with pre-scripting and pre-recording everything. And then I can screw up and I can say, uh, um, as many times as I have to, <laughs> you know, and, and, and delete it out, you know? So it's definitely the, the, the easier way, but it's still, I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, so I know maybe uh, hard luck Jim is uh, he's, he's offered to, for me to do something in the studio live if I ever want to. And, but for now, there's just really no need. I can, you know, pre-record and, and edit everything and then just throw it in the Dropbox and it's done, you know? So I, I do hope that there's going to be a point uh, that things will level out some and we can, hopefully do some in-studio um, interviews with bands and some uh, live recording. That would be, uh, I think, the, uh, the cherry on top of this whole thing is if we can get to the point where we can interview bands and, and, and get to hear some of their material live in the studio. Yeah. So. so that's Fridays, 9 to 11? That's right. 9 to 11 Central Time on KGOU. Um, you can, right now, there's not any sort of way to podcast it, as we, we talked about. But um, so you can listen live either on the local uh, KGOU affiliates in Oklahoma, uh, or you can listen online anywhere in the world at KGOU.org. But it is live. So 9 to 11 Central you don't exactly have the public radio voice. I have a weird voice, man. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. I know, but I would. Like, um, it, it's funny because a big part of this is, is sort of a dream come true, come true for me because, I mean, I, I remember being a kid and um, recording songs off of the radio and waiting. Like, you remember having a tape recorder and waiting for the song to play. Oh, yeah. and, right. And, uh, so, and the, the, the DJ would always, you know, hit the post. So yeah. Ne never so, got a full song. So I would either record, you know, uh, I would record myself as a DJ and pull tracks from other tapes or CDs or I would literally intro the song and wait for the, the radio station to play it Whoa, and then hit record. That's some devotion. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I've always, as an adult, I've always thought I had a weird voice. And uh, in a previous band that I was, do you remember Tyler Walker? No. Okay, so Tyler Walker, um, I grew up with uh, in Norman. He actually hit, uh, he had a sister, uh, Tamara Walker, who was Miss Oklahoma. And they lived down the street from me in Norman when I grew up on, um, on Rolling Stone Avenue. How's that for a, a street name? There you go. Yeah, it was always stolen. Somebody was always stealing Rolling Stone off of the stop sign. But um, Tyler was at the Wesley Foundation at OU, which is where you and I met. And he, he played some percussion and he ended up joining me in a band several years later uh, that I had called Radio Apathy. Actually, we were, we were post Arcadia was the name of our band when he was there. And he joined us on percussion for a while. And 
I told him that I was like, I've always thought I have a weird voice. And he's, he said, so what? He said, Bob Dylan has a weird voice. Tom Petty has a weird voice and they're doing just fine. I said, okay, I can take that. There you go. So, yeah. So thanks. Cheers. Cheers to Tyler for, for cheering me up with that. Not that I would put myself in the same realm as those two guys at all, but it does kind of give some context. Well, speaking of weird voices, Randy Newman's got one, man. And he does have a weird voice. It's always kind of taking the pressure off of me. It's like, okay, if I'm doing a Randy cover, no one's going to say, oh, I wish he had a nicer voice for that. <laughs> kind, of, kind of sets the bar, doesn't it? It does. It does. Well, it's funny. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a um, – I'm going to say something, uh, and I may be the first to say this, but I, I'm probably the first person you've had on this show that's not a Randy Newman fan. No, you're probably the third or fourth. Oh, good, good. Well, yeah. good. Good. I, that clears the air. Good. Which, um, is, uh, which is also my audience. I don't, right. want, I don't want these, you know, super fans that are going to correct me on every little thing I get wrong. I want, I want to introduce people to the man. So, yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, talking about his vocal quality, when I was, and I was listening to a couple of the show of these podcasts and, and to some of his music, I thought, you know, with Randy Newman, melody was more like a suggestion, I think <laughs> with him. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I've always, it's funny cause I've never been a, a Randy Newman fan. And, and there was, there was definitely a time in my life when, when, when I would tell people that I hated Randy Newman, which is a really mean thing to say, cause I've never met the guy. I, so I, get it. I can't say that, but I've always thought that he was until I listened to this show, I always thought that he was just a literal songwriter, a literalist like, and, and I realize now that, I think a lot of the stuff that he was writing was uh, or is um, satirical. It's tongue in cheek, right? Oh. Um, like Sail Away is a perfect example. And, and I had never heard that song. And, and at first blush, I, I didn't get it. But when you guys talked about this, I think it was Bo Jennings you were talking with about that. Uh -huh. I, I, it kind of opened my eyes like, okay, I, I see what he's doing. I mean, he's definitely taking a risk by, uh, by, approaching such a, um, a, a subject matter, a heavy subject matter, and approaching it so lightly at first, again, at first blush, and then when you, you start to let the lyrics sink in, it's like, okay, I see what he's doing. But I don't know if you've seen this. You probably have. But I always thought that the best illustration of Randy Newman uh, was the Family Guy episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's uh, Will Sasso. Does, okay. Does on that, yeah. When he's at the apple tree, and the first time I saw that, I was like, "Yes, this is this is my interpretation of Randy Newman." <laughs> yeah, you know. But I'm I'm willing I'm willing to change my my perception. And I know I have uh, people who I know who really love and respect uh, Randy Newman and his music. So I know that he can't be completely ignorable, and I I can't be completely right in what I've thought about him all this time. When you asked me, uh, when we were trying to figure out song suggestions, you asked me, what, what, does he have any funk? Which just, you know, made me laugh. Right. <laughs> as as anti-funk as there is. Well, I will say this. The reason that I asked that is that I do see 
him as the kind of writer and, and producer who might have done a funk song just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. In the same way that he would do like a heavy metal song or a punk song. Like uh, it wasn't so much of like, I don't know anything about him, but more like maybe he did a funk song. I don't know. You know, he's been recording music forever. So. Well, I, I racked my brain and, and couldn't, couldn't find one. Okay. Well, what, what song should we highlight for everyone today? Well, we talked about, uh, so one of the things that I asked about was, well, what about instrumental music? Because, um, and we can talk, when we do The Wheel of Randy, um, we can talk about him as a, as a lyricist and a songwriter in that capacity. But um, because I've been focusing so much on, on funk and on instrumental, especially instrumental funk uh, and groove, that what if we looked at something he's orchestrated, you know? Okay. Um, I have uh, I have a 16 year old daughter, and one movie that we watched probably 74 times uh, when she was a young kid was uh, was Monsters Inc. Which, besides the song that Billy Crystal and John Goodman sing, um, the rest of it's all instrumental. Yep. And so um, there's one there's one particular track that I like because it has some. I think some really specific musical references in it. And so what if we listen to, to that one? It's uh, let's see here in the monsters Inc soundtrack, I believe it's called the scare floor. Is that what we talked? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, the scare floor. Um, okay. What I'd recommend. I, when we listen to the scare floor, I, I like to double it up with the track before it, which is called enter the heroes, which is a, yes. a nice little prelude to, to the scare floor uh so yeah. our audience can can pull those up uh do enter the heroes and then the scare floor so uh hit pause on this and and come back in a few minutes and we will keep talking god captain races sing this song do da do da and we are back yeah all right well i i'm with you i probably watched this with with my daughter a couple hundred times so this is bringing back plenty of memories just by doing that right yeah it definitely takes you to like a specific visual place uh and when you when you have the joy of of raising children and watching things like that i think it also it stirs up some good you know sort of fuzzy feelings as well you know in, in a really in a really good way yeah this this couldn't have come out in a better time this came out like a month after 9-11. Wow. And so, you know, wow. like with our four-year-old girl going, what, what is the world coming to? And, yeah. And then yeah. we have this whole message of uh, facing your fears and taking power over your fears. Yeah. But, uh, man, she, uh, she was our boo. Yeah. You know what? That's funny. We call our daughter boo as well. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I have goosebumps. But yeah, that yeah, that we've been calling her boo our whole lives or her whole life. <laughs> but it's funny because so uh, I'll share with you something that few people know about me and that is that my first major in college was um I, I wanted to be a a composer. I, I wanted actually wanted to be a film composer because I was a huge Danny Elfman. Uh, fan yeah yeah right and so 
uh, I wanted, I, I can't remember now what the actual major is. It may have just been music composition, frankly, at OU. Um, and then that changed several times. But um, so from a music composition standpoint, I mean, there's a lot of things about this that, that I really like and can appreciate. Um, one of the things that about the soundtrack to this film is that it's so approachable. Um, which to me is sort of opposite of so much of, of, of Randy Newman's lyrical songs, because, you know, I grew up hearing short people got no reason. It's like, you know, and I know that's not probably typical of everything that he's done, but that's kind of the Randy Newman that I knew, which was to me sort of abrasive. Right. Yeah. Um, And so this music to me is so there's, there's all of these familiar hints in it that I think were very intentional on his part. Um, But so we started off with the, you know, the enter the heroes, obviously Aaron Copeland's uh, fanfare for the common man, right? Oh yeah. I I was stuck on, on the, and a lot of this is the visuals of that scene, uh, the, the visuals of the right stuff. Yeah, exactly. The, the fog going on. But yeah, I can definitely see some Copeland. In there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into um, the scare floor. And so to me, there's two things that stand out musically in that. And first of all, and they're both tied to the same era of music, but the first is the factory music, uh, which is very much just screams of a song called Powerhouse by Raymond Scott. And I looked this up so I would make sure that I credit the right person. But the song Powerhouse was used in numerous Warner Brothers cartoons. Anytime you saw a factory uh, like the, or like a bunch of hens laying eggs and the eggs going down the conveyor belt stuff, you know, you think about Looney Tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. So anytime there was industry that that's Raymond Scott from the like twenties uh, or thirties. It's a song called Powerhouse. All right. That we'll put a link to that on this show, guys. So, okay. Yeah. And, so, uh, and you and if you look it up, it's about a minute fifteen in before it breaks into that sound. So the Warner Brothers, to my knowledge, were the first to sort of tap into that as their soundtrack for factories and industry, you know, anywhere, anytime there were um, any sort of mass production going on, they had that. And so you can hear Randy Newman pull that in there pretty, pretty obviously. Um, But then you also, for me, I hear sing, sing, sing. Yeah. Sing, sing, sing. All over this part. All over. Right. Yeah. And as I, and, and for good reason. And here again, those two things, they add this sort of familiarity to the music. Even if you've never heard or seen this movie before or heard soundtrack, there's, there's these common elements that you have heard before. And it got me thinking, and, and I'm just going to totally just hypothetical right here. And, and maybe you know, and you can, you can help square this away. But I wonder if... Randy Newman saw Mike and Sully as a sort of Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello. Yeah. And he tapped into the music of the age, which would have been 
you know, that turn, turn of the century, early uh, 20th century, 1920s, 1930s, big band music. Yeah. Now, I can't link big band music to Laurel and Hardy specifically, but I wonder if he was going for that, that tone that reminds you of a certain era where those pairings of, of figures like that, those opposite sorts of figures were being put together. And I wonder if, if that was intentional or accidental or if he received instruction from Pixar to do that. I don't, I don't know. But from a composition, musical composition standpoint, that was my take. Let's I can see that. I, I, I'd always thought that, that, you know, there was a whole lot of nostalgia to this which was kind of weird because, you know, conceptually, this is almost a futuristic, otherworldly thing. Yeah. And then it hit me that, that you want a nostalgic feel to this because this is a thriving manufacturing sector. Hmm. And we haven't had one here in the States for 40 years. Yeah. And so there has to be kind of this, at the very least, a retro feel. To, to, to if you're going to pull off a bustling factory. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like a future past story where the, the everything is in some ways, the, the technology that they're using is futuristic and yet, you know, they walk to work and, and uh, you've got the, the leaderboard and they've got- Yeah. That's an interesting take. Do you think maybe the music is a subtle way to appeal to uh, working class? Mm, at least appealing to to our image of what working class used to be, whether that was accurate or not. It, yeah. It's definitely there to, to evoke yeah. that. Interesting. But, you know, well, I, you see little, little retro hints throughout the movie, you know, the, Mike has this extensive jazz collection, uh, which which Vu at one point de-alphabetizes. <laughs> yes, yes, I'd forgotten about that. And you know, and at the same time, it's a very you know, Monstropolis is a very modern place. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, and their and their apartment everywhere, is, and you know. Yeah, and everything's very modern, contemporary uh, design. Interesting. Well, I, it's a lot to communicate through through a movie score. Yeah. And I, I, I've always felt that this is the kind of thing that they need to be playing at, at the pops. You, yeah. You know, to get a copy of this movie with the score taken out and to get a band to play it live, they could tour the elementary schools. Oh, yeah. Just doing that. And, and that way a kid could see, oh, that funny noise. Oh, that's a muted trumpet. And that's what it looks like. Yeah. 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 And having a, having a trap set on stage with, you know, with the orchestra, um, which you don't always uh, see in here, you know, also, I think in the nineties, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, well, the nineties saw the rise of, or the return of swing music. Well, yeah, it did. Um, what swingers came out in what? 95. And you know, that was reflective yeah. of, a, of, a, of a, 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 a healthy swing revival in L.A. at the time. 
Yeah. Well, and you had, um, I'm trying to remember all the, the bands. I'm going to look, I'm going to cheat here and look on Spotify. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Cherry Poppin' Daddies and Squirrel Nut Zippers. And then Brian, Brian Setzer. Yeah. And I think that they were all popping up about, they, these were all in the mid to late, I'd say mid 90s. So it's possible he started scoring this in the late 90s as they prepared the film for the, you know, the early 2000 release, yeah. early 2000s release. So, All right. Well, as long as we're throwing theories out there, do you think that Animaniacs had an effect on this? Because oh, Animaniacs man. brought back the full orchestra to the cartoon. Well, okay. So to date myself, I was the, – the Animaniacs were at the tail end of my cartoon consumption. Yeah. Um, because I was definitely uh, in, the, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, I was doing the, the whole Tiny Toon Adventures thing, which again was, you know, they were a revival of the Looney Tunes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I caught some of uh, the Animaniacs, but I, I think at that point I was, uh, I was probably in school, in college, a lot more and wasn't living at home, so I didn't have cable. And so I wasn't hip to what was what was regularly on tv so much then um but yeah i mean i am familiar enough with the show to know that they that they did bring back some of the sort of the, the original old school warner brothers uh concepts and 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 feel into the the storytelling and and you know the the atmosphere am i is, is that correct yeah yeah they did yeah 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 so there's definitely it sounds like when he was preparing the the soundtrack for this, there was definitely no shortage of, of uh, influences uh, coming his way, both from the, the resurgence of, of swing music, but also just going back to the original uh, Warner Brothers and, and, and swing music itself. So I, I have to say, I mean, I have to give him props for that because uh, it's, it's a really... Again, the familiarity that he composes with uh, for this film is it's really clever um, and it's, it's a great way. Because here's the thing when, that I think that Pixar gets right is that they recognize that if you're going to make a movie that, you're, that kids want to watch over and over, it's best to include elements that the adults will find entertaining as well. Sure. And there's definitely... Um, the, the musical side of things is um, in addition to the adult humor that, that Pixar are so great about weaving into their, their storytelling, but there's definitely a musical atmosphere that's created that is, is comfortable and, and makes it easier to watch a hundred times, you know, with your children. And I think he did that right. I think Randy Newman got that right. Before we close the book on monsters, Inc. I want to read a, a snippet. Um, Friend of the show, Michael Pelusi, uh, interviewed Randy in, I think, 2000 or 2001, as he was working on Monsters, Inc. Um, and uh, Randy said, I'm proud of being able to write to assignment. I don't have any compunction about, oh, that's not me. If Stravinsky was asked to write something for somebody's daughter's bat mitzvah, he'd have done it. He'd have charged them an enormous amount. People <laughs> take commissions, and I'm glad I can fill them. I'm not interested in bearing my soul, and I don't think I necessarily have enormously important things to say. Hmm. Okay. 
So he was, you know, he, 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 uh, he, he's a professional. Yeah. And, and, and if, if people are, are going to commission him to, to write it, he'll do it and he'll do his best. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, I think a lot of time, I think a lot of artists would have kind of turned up their nose at something like that. Yeah. And I think that true Randy Newman followers would say that he actually does have something to say. And oh yeah, he he does. He's so just, he's going to save it for his own stuff. He's not going to try to throw his agenda into right into a commission. Yeah, for all we know, Pixar said, you know, we want you to tap into these uh, musical resources. Yeah, because I mean, Pixar has a very very clear idea of where they want things to go. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's why they're so successful at what they do. Is and and they definitely they definitely understand atmosphere, and you can't have atmosphere without a good soundtrack. You picked a good one, man. Well, thanks. That was a was a fun exercise. And let's see what the wheel does to you. Oh no! Here it comes. Here it comes. We're bringing it up. And folks, remember you can play at home. Just go to our pinned tweet at Wheel of Randy, and you can take a spin yourself. Oh, wow. Okay, I was going to say, you know, you listen to this show, but you don't actually visualize the wheel, and there it is. How many, okay, before I tell you to stop, can I ask you how many songs are on the wheel of Randy? Do you uh, know? I haven't counted in a while. It's about 100, maybe 110. It's what I did. I took his studio stuff, and I took uh, a few of the soundtrack stuff, and then I deleted anything that was overtly racist, and this is the list that was left. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. This is impressive. Okay, uh, I'm almost ready to stop. Are you ready? I'm ready. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Ready and stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, tell everyone what this landed on. <laughs> it's a song called I'm Dead, in parentheses, but I don't know it. Now, normally I would tell people what record this is. All right, I'll tell them. It's, this is on the record, Bad Love. That is not the version that I want people to listen to. Okay. I want, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a link up there, but I want people to listen to Randy sing this live with Don Henley at his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Okay. So that's the video that I'm going to pull up here. So folks, follow the link at Wheel of Randy and watch I'm Dead But I Don't Know It, and we will be right back. Bet my money on a Bob Town drag all the mm. doodah day. <laughs> and we are back. <laughs> that was great. You know, he, he's always been able to poke fun at himself and when he when this came out in 99 you know he's definitely an, an older guy it was for his first record in a long time and for him to poke fun about being this you know boomer like you said clogging up the stage yes yeah and i love i love that paul shapers on stage with him Paul right? everywhere <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah, this song is just so full of of, of irony and, and satire, um, which, again, is probably just the ultimate description of Randy Newman, right? Yeah. 
the the, the satire and and the, the, the self-deprecation almost seems like a, a too mild a word. Right. Well, and see, that's that to me that you, you've you've hit on something that has always made me curious about Randy Newman is that I would think that like for most people like if we're going to stay in the Monsters Inc. vein, for example, Billy Crystal can be self-deprecating because we, we know who he is. Like we've seen enough of him that if he makes fun of himself, we all laugh because we get him, you know, right. Right. And he's kind of earned that. But I think Randy right out the gate has been self-deprecating. And I've always wondered how he earned an audience who didn't, know him outside of that first does that make sense yeah um prob- probably the best answer to that is that he he spent his first five or six careers of uh, years of his career just straight up songwriting you know he wrote for dusty springfield and three dog night and so forth okay um, so he's writing for other because i really don't know i don't have a history uh, of of randy so he's writing serious songs for serious musicians and in the process getting to know those singers, right? Yeah. Those performers. Okay, that, that helps give some context to, to his style. His, his first solo record comes in 68. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's all over the board. There, there's some, there's some, uh, some tongue-in-cheek stuff in there, and then there's some, some genuinely sad uh, uh, love songs on there. Yeah. Um, because well, I, have, I have a question for you in... In this vein, I know that you're asking me the questions, but I'm just super curious, like, if we have time. No, I love um, it, yeah. So how did you get into Randy Newman, and how did you get this, how did you get the idea for this podcast? And then I have a follow-up after all that's done, if you don't mind. I got into Randy Newman because about 2003, 2004, um, I started going to the library every week and checking out every CD they had um, uh, of any artist. Was, was this like, just I, to expand your musical horizon? Yeah, or were you I was just, like, I'm just bored. I'm about to turn 30 and I've spent my first 20 years listening to uh, Billy Joel's greatest hits in the white album and right. fine, but I, there's got to be more to life. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so I started doing that, and then I got a copy of uh, uh, that wonderful book, A Thousand One Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Yeah, I've got that same book. And it's got, when, when I was flipping through that, I was surprised that there were three Randy records on there. Yeah. And I was like, it's like, this is a guy from Dr. Demento. What's he doing? Exactly, yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I got those and I really, really, really got into Sail Away. Uh, yeah. That album just did a whole lot for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I, I really only started a, a deep dive a couple of years ago, getting into his 80s stuff, which is hit and miss. But yeah. if you really stick with it, you can be rewarded from it. But the, the reason I do this show and I'm awfully flattered that you thought to ask, I think you're the first person to ask, um, is that I like to share him because I like artists who are misunderstood. I like, yeah. I like artists where what they're actually saying isn't you know, what you necessarily pick up the first time. It's why I liked Pet Sounds so much. Because yeah. as a child, I dismissed the Beach Boys as, as you know, you know, you know, beach music, you know. And, and then to really get into Pet Sounds and go, oh, 
these guys really had something to say. Um, and so I like artists that are misunderstood, like, like, like Beach Boys and, and the Kinks to some degree, and Falco in particular. Oh, wow. Falco was dismissed as this, this one-hit wonder with, with the Amadeus song, but uh, I, he, he doesn't have a huge catalog, but, but it's very respectable stuff. I really, really dig Falco. I have to say, um, Amadeus came on the radio um, this summer. I was out driving somewhere. I can't remember where, but I, I can remember being in the car and Amadeus came on and I cranked it up and I sang it. And like, I don't remember all the words to it, but I was a child when that song came out and I yep. loved it then. And I loved it just as much in my 40s. You well, know? And, and I say this with all positivity, not his best. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe you. Well, the Commissar and, and The Sound of Music, it, it's just phenomenal stuff. But if I hadn't given him the second chance, I'd yeah. never know. And I'm wanting people to get that second chance with Randy. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, uh, that's a very honorable uh, task to take on. Have you heard from any of his official people yet? Um, no, I haven't. I, I vaguely know some people who are you know, uh, you know, indirectly associated with them, but I, I don't expect there to be that kind of feedback for this. Yeah. Well, you never know. Yeah, he, you may, know. he may be aware. Well, okay. The other question I have to ask, I, I have to know about the theme song and the Wheel of Randy song. Tell, please tell me, okay. who, who is it? How did you come about it? All right. It, this, this guy's name, it, oh, shoot. I've got to look it up because I want to get it right because he deserves okay. it. Yeah, it's wonderful. Oh, story about that as well. Um, well, you know, it's the first thing you hear on the show, and I loved it. I thought this is this is exactly what this show needs. All right, his name is Matt Farley, and right. he um, has recorded thousands of songs. He he took this business model that if I put thousands of songs on Spotify or iTunes or what have you. Every now and then, someone will click it. <laughs> and okay. so um, I, first, I first found him when, when I was, I'd just got my Spotify account, and I'd listened to everything that Patton Oswalt had put out. And I searched Patton Oswalt, and I find this song called Patton Oswalt by Matt Farley. And you play it, and it's like, hey, Patton, you're a really funny guy. I'd love to work with you sometime. My number is <laughs> And you're a really funny guy. And I go back, and he has hundreds and hundreds of songs like this. Hey, Amy Poehler, you're a really funny lady. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, it, it, he's very much got this Randy vibe, and, and he was able to, to, he was kind enough to, to, to let me do these commission free for a very reasonable rate, but Matt's a great guy. So you just you tracked him down and said, "Hey, I'm going to do this show, and this is what I have in mind." And he did he did you give him any sort of like artistic instruction or um, direction? No, I said, "I know your stuff. I know where this is going. Here's the information. Write me some songs." And a week later, they're in my inbox. That's brilliant. I love it. He, he really did a, a great interview with Chris Gethard. Uh, but I'll send you a link to it. Okay, that sounds good. Well, one more thing before we close. It's this week's cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the cover right. part. 
This is tricky since we were talking score. Okay, I like, okay, I, I, I want to have one that, that's relevant. Um, and I've got an instrumental track that I'm going to recommend. It's by this, this Japanese jazz pianist. Her name is Ai Kuwabara. She did a version of If I Didn't Have You, which is the, you know, the theme song to Monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is on an album. <clears throat> I have an issue with the name of this album. The name of the album is My First Disney Jazz, which right off the bat is wrong because your first Disney jazz record has got to be Dave Brubeck's Dave Diggs Disney. Yeah. How old is she? uh, 30s, I think. Okay. Um, It's well done, and it's nice to to hear some some piano improv off of it. And it's it's just – it's a – Disney-friendly, decent piece of piano jazz. So Aiku Ibarra, If I Didn't Have You, is our cover this week. Michael, thank you so much for coming. How can people get hold of you? Oh, well, thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. Well, considering the the numerous projects that I've taken, uh, I've undertaken recently, um, if you're interested in, in the radio show, it's called Tonic, the Funky Groove Show. And you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Funky Groove Show, um, and then I'm in a band called the Whiskey Gingers, and they're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. And I would give you the the call signs for those, but we haven't been able to find one consistent across the board. <laughs> as you can probably imagine, the Whiskey Gingers is really not that original. But um, the other band is Heartbreak Rodeo, which is also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heartbreak Rodeo. Um, otherwise, you could also just email me at programming at kgou.org, which is for the radio show, uh, especially if you have any ideas for instrumental funk, groove, soul, disco, jazz, or hip-hop. Excellent. So, Dan, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I- thank you, Michael. We'll, we'll get together. Well, the virus is going to disappear on Election Day, right? So we'll get together. Right. The day after yeah that sounds yeah. good to me i'll buy the first round okay see everybody bye bye thanks everybody well that's it for another week here at wheel of randy we are part of the good trash media network thanks to matt fraley for our theme song you can find matt's music at moternmedia.com that's m-o-t-e-r-n Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Best way to reach Brian is on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music we're listening to right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. And I'm using it because it's public domain. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's what I do during the day. I am a water and sewer engineer registered in Oklahoma and Texas. I'll register in your state if you ask nicely enough. Most of what I do is small town water and sewer engineering, but I specialize in hydraulic modeling. I build computer models for water systems, and that can help you plan your water systems more efficiently, and it can also help you with your homeowner's insurance. If you're a city official, you need a water model. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634. 
and we would be happy to talk to you. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.